0: How a massive stroke changed his life for the better. What happened on the day of the stroke and the long drawn out recovery process, all coming right up. This is episode number 177 with a survivor of a massive stroke and a huge inspiration, Ted Baxter. Hey everyone and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. My mission is to help you gain clarity on what the best version of yourself looks like and then provide you with the tools, tips, and inspiration on how to make that person become a reality. Today, I bring you Ted Baxter, who had a stroke 15 years ago and has since written the book, Relentless, how a massive stroke changed my life for the better. And he's gonna bring you through a lot of his story about how he struggles with things like his speech still today. Be sure to take a screenshot and post it to your Instagram stories and tag me at carrier underscore best you to let me know you're listening. Without further ado, here's to getting closer to your best you with Ted Baxter. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I am super pumped up today to have the one and only Ted Baxter with me today. So I just want to start off by saying thanks so much, Ted, for taking the time with me today. Thank you for having me on your show here. It's great to be here. Yeah, of course. Well, I've been super excited after having dove into your book, Relentless, How a Massive Stroke Changed My Life for the Better. And so Ted is a speaker, a philanthropist, and an author of this awesome book where he basically talks about his life, how it used to be, the whole experience of the stroke itself, his recovery, and how his current life is, and it's super inspirational story. And I think it's super prevalent right now in the sense that you underwent a super- challenging and tough scenario and the whole country of the whole world on a much lesser scale is experiencing a challenging time as well and needing to find a way to make the most of it and come out on the other side better because of it. But the way I want to start off today is to give everybody kind of a brief introduction of you prior to the stroke and your life prior to the stroke. So Ted worked in finance for Pricewaterhouse for a long time. He started as an auditor, quickly moved up to a management consultant level. Also, while he was with the company, he got his MBA at UPenn at the Wharton School of Business. You built a financial services consulting practice in Tokyo, Japan, and rose to partner in record time. And then a little bit later on, you were managing director at a premier hedge fund and investment institution, which is Citadel Investment Group. So basically what I'm trying to get across and let everybody know is you were super successful in finance. You had built this career. You worked your butt off. You stayed in fantastic shape and all this stuff prior to the stroke. And I actually, before we get to the incident itself, I was very intrigued about how you built up this financial services consulting practice in Japan, basically from scratch. You were you were solely basically responsible for, for the success of that endeavor. So what were some of the key things that allowed you to build that and make that successful and pull that off? Well, that, that
1: was a job that was, um, it was very exciting for me because I was 28 years old. I had just finished my, my MBA with uh, Wharton, and I came back to my office the next day, and I had a meeting with my boss, and he said, guess, guess what, Ted, you're going to move to Tokyo which I didn't even know what was going on here. So, so he told me that you'll have to deal with the fact you you don't, you don't speak Japanese. You don't know anybody there. You don't know the Japanese business customs. So I had to, I had to really deal with that. What I did know, the audit practice of Pricewaterhouse had, had. They still have. So when I went at that time, I I was basically landed in Tokyo it was my wife and my and me. And I didn't have anybody, um HR, people that could help me. You know, I did not I didn't I didn't know it was Tokyo. It was uh, so huge Let's compare it to to New York City is uh, so it, it it was it was a it's so exciting for me. It provides so many uh, more opportunities for our practice and I had to do all that stuff, you know, each one, um, first had to get the HR with me. And then after that, I had to, do the, um, I had to deal with the, the fact that, okay, if I'm going I'm to give a presentation on, let's say, uh, risk management, which is I had was one of my, ex- uh, my specialty, couldn't do that as a regular English person. I had to be able to translate that into Japanese. So I wasn't that I wasn't me but I have to have a translator with me to, that translates all information in Japanese and I had to uh, and then it just is what I have I had to figure out okay uh, is he's is he gonna ask me a question and then my translator would translate that back to me so it was it was that kind of stuff so it was it was so very um, it, it was tough but I was twenty eight. I was, I, I was saying like, bring it on, bring it on.
0: Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I thought that was such a, I mean, that part, the whole book was inspiring, but I thought that beginning part was super inspiring just for you to have the leap of faith to go out there, not speaking the language, having nobody else out there to support you and to be able to be successful in spite of all those things was super cool. Well, I want to get kind of catch people up to the actual incident and the actual stroke itself. So if you could potentially just kind of break down maybe the couple of days leading up to it, what those look like, and then the actual day of the stroke itself and the event itself, just kind of bring people through that timeline, I guess.
1: Okay. So before, before I had my stroke that day, I happened to be in a um, international um, event. Uh, where I had to go to London, and then to London. to go to Luxembourg, and Luxembourg back to London, and and all of those things. I had to have meetings with my people that was were working for me. Um, finance uh, stuff like you know I had to meet with Bank of England. So there's a lot of things that go, goes on with that. So took this uh, tr- uh, trip, it was like Sunday night, did the meetings, and then it was Thursday or whatever. Got to keep in mind, I was 41 years old, so I was, I was pretty young at, at that point. I finished my business trip that day in London, and I took a fl- flight back to Chicago. So that's Thursday. That night, I was watching television with my, my wife. Um, the Apprentice of all things, and commercials with my wife. She asked me a question. I couldn't. I couldn't respond. Okay, so she thought I was just you know, my mind just drifted off. But that didn't happen like that. Okay, so she asked my same question, and I couldn't respond. And I, we happened to be in in our bedroom. And she came over to me, and she looked looked in my eyes, and she knew at a at a minute that uh, something was wrong. So I I, I, I stared at the space. Um, I couldn't. I mean, I was sweating, and I couldn't I couldn't speak. What she did, uh, which is the best, I, I've always 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 tell the story. Uh, my wife, she grabbed grabbed the telephone. She called the, the police officers. And after that, she called the, the paramedics. So in, in a minute, the par- paramedics was there. You know, They were asking simple questions like, um, what is your name? How many fingers am I holding up? That, that kind of stuff. At that moment, I, I lost the comprehension of language. I lost the mobility, which I didn't know at the time, but... But I I lost the uh, the mobility to to using my right side of my body, so that doesn't really matter to me at that point because I wasn't you know looking around trying to dance or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't speak. So I lost you know I lost my my ability to doing things that we take for granted. Like I couldn't say something like uh, good morning. I couldn't say things like uh like, how are you or i couldn't i couldn't shave my beard couldn't do any of that so soon after uh, i didn't even know it was called it was called a stroke at that point right i, I knew something was going on and uh, i didn't really know if i had irrecoverable damage in my brain
0: so as you go back and and tell the story of this experience and Like, you know, when you're sitting there on the couch and you're watching TV and your wife asks you this question and you weren't able to respond and you realize you can't move the right side of your body. How much of that is truly from your memory and how much of that is from what other people have told you or in what your wife has told you as to what actually happened? Yeah,
1: that was pretty much pretty. It's like 50 50 um, with my with my wife, because my brain, it was. Fifty percent was in, and the other fifty percent was out. So, you know, for me to 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 tell you that, you know, what that's that was the exact the happenings to to me, it's tough for me to do that. But I can I can I can can remember fifty percent of it. So I, yeah.
0: And then there was probably a point where you were completely unconscious for an extended period of time. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, what they did, the, the paramedics said they came in, and they were using my, my, my pulse, and they put the uh, IV into my arm and stuff. And I remember this, that they said that to my wife, I said, Look, we don't know what he'd been doing, but his low pressure is so low. You know, you know if you, to, you can look at a diastolic uh, reading, mine was went down from 60 to 32 and this is the paramedics they told my wife that if it if it go from lower than 32 or 30 he's not going to be here with us so
0: wow okay so i got kind of want to bring up a specific scenario from your book so there was a a time very soon kind of after probably the time that we're discussing right now in the book and to give everybody a timeline this is back in 2005 when this happened but in the after this after this happened uh, in the book there's this scenario where three of your former coworkers Ken Griffin, Adam Cooper, and Gerald and Gerald Beeson walked in and there was this moment where you kind of perked up and you and you sat up and I'm pretty sure that it was your wife who saw that and was like wait I've never seen him do that before do you consciously remember that
1: yeah, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good question. I think my, my thing when, when I saw those three people from my firm that I work for, I was thinking that these are my, my bosses. I'm going to show them that I'll be back. And it sounds like this is a good big, a big event or a good tragic, tragedy, but let me say it's only going to be, you know, like a couple or three weeks and I'll be back. So that's why I think I got, like perked up
0: for mm-hmm. that.
1: But at the, the other thing, going through the, at the point, my wife really, she had to figure out that, because I couldn't talk and I'm sitting there just, when, when I was 50-50, when I was 50 in, I was 50 out. When I was 50 in, I was talking to her, you know, you, you just give some feelings to your wife. For example, I grabbed her hand and, and squeezed it. And she asked me at that, at that point, she asked, do, do I want to live through this process? or do you, do you don't care about that and you just pass? Because she knew that this this, this thing that I have, a uh, stroke, she didn't even know the, the aphasia at that point, but uh, she knew a stroke that was a, a big, a huge um, event for me. And I wouldn't be back to work and that kind of stuff. So, and I said, I, I grabbed her hand and I squeezed it and. So she knew something was going on. And she went to talk to the neurologist in the hall. And you know, they looked at me from the hall and saw me that perked up my chest. And I came up. And the, the doctor said to her, she said, there's no way he can do something like that. He'll be back. He'll be back and she got she got this the the, the signal that I I I want to back I want to I want to to live
0: the rest of my life. Mhm. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, that was that was one of the more moving parts of the book for me where I got chills for sure so I definitely wanted to make sure that I that I brought that up. So give us a little bit of a frame of reference and give everybody a little bit of a timeline in terms of when was kind of the point where you started to gain a little bit of mobility and started to gain a little bit of ability to start speaking again and kind of what that looked like early on.
1: Right. Well, okay. So to, to, to dealing with the coming back, my, my speech, that is a, a totally different animal because for the first year, I can only speak 1,000, 1,500 words. So just to give you some confidence for that, so that's that's if I can compare it to um, you know when you're four or five years old, you're growing your your life, and you can use four four thousand or five thousand words. That's at age four. So so if you're if you're age uh, if you are an adult adult, you are using twenty thousand to thirty five thousand i couldn't I couldn't do that uh, my my first year I could only say one thousand maybe fifteen hundred words so i that started my- rec- recovery mm. after the, the the year one so now to, to thinking about the the recovery of the the physical side now this was uh totally different because I couldn't walk. I couldn't move my right side of my body. I couldn't see. My right eye was was really messed up, and uh, and this I I heard from uh, from my wife uh, absolutely uh, because of this couldn't understand what's going on. So I was there. I think the first two weeks I was in a hospital, and then the second eight weeks I was in. Rehab of Institute of Chicago, and that they wanted me to, to to walk the 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 hall couldn't do that the first week, so now let's say I was in the rehab of Chicago I tried to do it myself where, where the nurses weren't around. I said the way I could do it is if I happen to be there where they weren't there and I could just figure out how to get myself out to the edge of the bed and, and move it. And I did this at 12 midnight. And what I found, I was, I couldn't do that. And, my, and what I tried to do the first two, three times, I was, uh, you, you'll hear, hear if, you're, if you happen to be a nurse uh, and you'd be hanging around that floor, you hear you hear it flat. And I fell and around on the, uh, on the bed. So the next, the next couple days after that, my wife came to see me uh, in the morning. She said, what happened to your face? And I said to her, I couldn't tell, I couldn't tell her. But, uh, and she, she got the story from the nurse. And, and she told me, and she said, you're, you're crazy, Ted. What are you doing that? I'm doing it because I want to do it. So that's that sort of that. That's that's the the story of uh, the physical recovery.
0: Yeah. So you've mentioned it a couple of times already during the interview. Aphasia. And so one of the toughest parts for you throughout this recovery process was when you realized that aphasia was going to be a long term thing for you, and you were always going to have to deal with it. And that was accepting that was one of your toughest moments and kind of darkest moments, if you will. So I want you to start off by just. Telling everybody what aphasia is, and then how you got to the point where you could kind of accept it and stay motivated and keep pushing.
1: Yeah, what um, aphasia? That means uh, it's a pediment of language, which means are different flavors of, of aphasia. You know, I, I had per the the SLPs, the speech language pathologists, that they told me that I have a global aphasia, which is the worst of the worst of the best, or the worst of the worst. So that means I couldn't understand what they were saying. I couldn't say anything. Like If you read about this in, in uh, the, the research, it'll, it'll say something like uh, utterance. That is what people, when they tried to say, they, they try to do it the first time. If they just have a stroke. They use that. So that's the global aphasia. and. Uh, you know, then, then you move from global aphasia to uh, Broca aphasia, Wernicke aphasia. Those are those are different parts of your of your brain where where your stroke happened. In my situation, for a while, it was uh, I happened to be uh, I went from global aphasia to Broca's aphasia, and now from Broca's aphasia, the, the type of aphasia I have now is, uh, is which was what is called anomia aphasia, which is. Basically, sometimes I go through where I'm talking to you, or, or I don't, I, I I have a couple of problems word finding, word finding. So I would say, you know, I I, I definitely I still have it. Uh, I haven't I haven't met the person that cured himself from having a having aphasia to now doesn't have one. So uh, I think I'm going to be the person that has aphasia. You know, whatever I I pass on. But at least what I can do is I can still I I can get get better every day. Every day I'm gonna I'm talking more. I'm you know I'm telling telling this story about about, about my my situation. You know, and so about, while I'm doing that, um, my my mind my brain gets comfortable with, with talking about the, these these things. So that's what, that's what is aphasia is.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Awesome. So during this recovery process, I think one of the things maybe you didn't realize and maybe your wife didn't realize early on is that seizures were, were things that happened relatively frequently to people who have had strokes in the past. And you had a few seizures during your recovery and basically what was the, there was especially the one, the first one I think out in Arizona was really a tough one for you. So talk about what was the toughest part about rebounding from those three seizures. After you've made some really good progress, you made some really good progress, then you've had this fallback, and then how did you stay motivated to rebound?
1: Yeah, well, you know, it's funny, because I always um, have to compare some of these uh, situations that happen against me. I always compare it to sports and to sports. Now, this one, I... I I compare it to boxing. Okay, so it's life's not about how hard of a hit you can give; it's about how many, how many you can take and still keep moving forward. Uh, I think this was, where is it? Uh, this is uh, from Balboa, from uh, Rocky Balboa, uh, mm-hmm. uh, for his, uh, his picture. And, and anyway, I mean, going through that, of course, I, I can tell you that I had three seizures and each each one I took hits from this you know which means you know I made so much of a progress until I had that uh, seizures which puts puts me back you know it's like a small failing you know what I mean so it's there's nothing I can I can I can do with it but I could just say look I'm doing it um all right I have to start it again or so pick pick a, a point where, okay, now I could say this before, now I can't, let me try to do this again. So uh, try to, I tried And I was told by a neurologist that if you happen to be um, have a massive stroke, your brain is not formed yet. It's not formed yet. So that means what he said to me, he said, Ted, he said, you know, you're not going to because you're not going to have that right now you've got to be careful because it's it's like somebody has a has a match and he put it in 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 the propane in it and and then all of a sudden you'll see your explosion will will happen and, and that's that's what happened with your brain so and he said to compare it to being um, you know a brain where it looks like jello and you know, I took that every time, you know. Um I'm doing doing my practice, my uh my research every day, my homework or whatever. I took that, I took that really hard.
0: Yeah, yeah, I gotcha. So there were so many things that you did to challenge yourself to be able to recover as quickly as possible. You worked out all the time. You even got yourself on a treadmill probably a little too early. And that's one of the times when you went down and were out for a little bit. Uh you force yourself to tie your arm behind your back to force yourself to do things with your opposite side. You played different sports. You did You did golf. You did boxing. You did Pilates. You did all these different things to basically try to challenge yourself, to challenge your brain, to get back to where you know you could be. So talk to why trying all these different things and the benefit of all these different things to your recovery. Well,
1: first, I, I think that if you can use or to try and, and and you have success you're going to you're going to make it so using that as the overall the the, the thing that I got to go with when I work out to the facility to the, uh, to, the to the gym or at the point at the time I was going to rehab chicago a physical facility they they needed to tell me what muscle memory means okay so because my my right right side of my body was was there and i i knew that something i can figure out to, to use this to make it better to make it you know, mobile so they told me about it a so this idea of muscle memory and, you know if you, if you work out you, you know what this is and stuff but it, it, you know, I didn't I, I didn't know at the point because I, I, I did it before I had my stroke. and Now those concepts were, were gone. So I need to be somebody else was telling me what this means. And um, they gave me a, a barbell and said so just, you know, use it, use it to move your right side of my uh, your arm. And I did this and it, I, so I did this since at that point. So that's that's that workout uh, regimen was all, all it's all about, because I needed I needed to have a, a physical trainer. And he taught me this muscle memory. And then what I also do, and this, this was my was my wife told, told me about this. I mean, I, I didn't realize what's going on when I get to the point where I can uh, jog on a treadmill she said it, the, the the point that i, I did it for, for 5 days straight i came back on friday and i saw her and she said and she said to me so what do you, you know what do you do what did you what did you do this morning and i said to her, i said oh, i went to the i went to the crunch i did my exercises done and i to go a uh, run after that and she's saying to me she looked at me she said what what did you say you said that, that you did what? And, and I told her about what, about this. And she says, whatever whatever you did, at that point, that gave you fluency. Fluency and you're, you're speaking uh, you're very intelligible. Um, I, I can understand what you're saying and I didn't have any problems. And so at that point, there is a connection between your speaking and you working out and doing things like you know if you're you're sitting there on your treadmill or you can use one of the machines that gives you some move move yeah you know, it has uh, your your blood pressure starts to move up so that's great. So see, that it's basically her from her view that, that I took that to, to she went back to the neurologist and they wouldn't be, they they could believe it. So wow. that's the second thing. And the other the other thing that you know this this thing that you're you mention the fact that I have I didn't realize it was called at at that point but it, it is called as a as a constant a, a constant induced a movement therapy okay CIMT and this is where you can move your your right arm or in my in my case my, move my right arm and put it in my my back and tied it using a, a rope now I did this I think it was stroke plus uh 14 weeks now and I just been Released by the rehab of Chicago, I went back. I said, "I showed my my wife. Look, if you, this is what I want to do, oh, if you want to take a rope, you want to tie tie my right side of my back my, on my back, and let's let's see if it works." And she, we did it. And the first time, the second time, the third time, it, we failed. Right, every time. And we're, we're talking about this is. Like not not, oh,, let, let's try it let's give it a shot. if it doesn't work, uh, yeah, no. where where's where's my coffee? No, right, this right. is like a, a, a huge deal. For example, we uh, we cried for hours after that. I thought was was this would not work. until fourth time, I could I could move, I could move my right side um, on my, my left side, and I could I could move my my right side a more every time i do it so she got it and i got it and so that's where the constant uh, induced movement therapy came from
0: yeah yeah i thought that was a super cool you're willing to do whatever whatever it takes to be able to get back get back and recover so one of the things you touch on this idea that you touch on some in the book is how you basically before the stroke kind of knew, had found your purpose. You found what you were really good at. You found out what you were really passionate about and you knew what success looked like in your finance career and in your professional career. And then you obviously have this incident and your purpose has to completely change and your definition or your view of success has to completely change. So how do we go about like, and, and people have that on a much smaller scale throughout their life. People have to reinvent themselves. They have to find a new purpose and that sort of a thing. So what's your advice to people on how to go about reinventing your purpose and redefining what success looks like for you?
1: Yeah, well, this thing, um, before the stroke, I mean, I I was basically more naive. Because now if if I could just think about this whole Whole journey from having, uh, having, having before my stroke, and now having, it, I, have had, I have the stroke, and all the things I've gone through, recovery, uh, trials and tribulations, all that kind of stuff, is that when I look at the, the before the before stroke, I, I was definitely naive. Its just when I thought I was a master of the universe. Uh, I I couldn't I couldn't do wrong. You know, I could, I could go to this, this business. I could, I could, I had a great job with the hedge firm. I, I, before that I was, well, I was Pricewaterhouse. I was doing all that. I was doing all that stuff. But what, what I found when, when I had my stroke, that gave me some time, gave me some time to really, to thinking, thinking about what I did and what I didn't do. So what, what I had to do, I had to think, i uh, thinking about, uh, you know, I went to this, this, a uh, um, conference, uh, Tony Robbins, he had, and I, I learned the concept of a uh, wheel of life. And what that is, that, that, that has, has a uh, priorities in the, in the wheel, for example, uh, things like, okay, uh, relationships, your, your health. Um, your career. In my case, it's now, it's like a volunteer, stuff like that. And well, if he had asked me at the point before I had my stroke, my answer would have been, well, let me see about this. would be uh, career. Uh, number two would be career. Um, three would be career. And then by four or five would be uh, health. Five would be maybe some relationships with four or five. You know and now, have, having gone through this process of having a massive stroke and the thinking about it, and now I had to figure out what you know I can work, work, uh, to volunteer things. And, and, and now, I, now I, have a, I have a new wife right now, I mean, she really loved me, uh, she really loves me. I loved her, and she's, and she's the best. But now I can put all those things. And in. instead of putting that uh, number one is career or a volunteer, one has to be health. Unless you are top of, your, of your, your, your getting up every morning, unless you can't get that, then you need to f- figure that out first. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what I did. So and I put those those uh, priorities on the um, the wheel of life, and I, that's what I came up with. Um, I'm gonna put the relationships as one of the, as one of the focus area, and then after that it's gonna be volunteer, I'm gonna give back to to the society of the story. Um I could tell the, the people that, that has aphasia right now. If I have the a stroke, a massive stroke or, or whatever um, is that they have some, they, they have some trauma. I can tell them what I did and they tell them that from what I can see, you can do this. So that, that's, that's, that's what
0: I've used. That's awesome. That's powerful, super powerful. So down to the, the last couple questions here, uh, Ted. So I think that one of the most important things to be able to get closer to the best version of yourself, is to kind of be able to picture what the best version of yourself looks like and what the best version of yourself is capable of, and then try to find a way to take action and make that person a reality or to reverse engineer that person. And so uh, for a question for you personally, is there a particular skill or a piece of knowledge that the best version of yourself has that you don't currently have?
1: Uh, that uh, okay is this one of the things that i
0: have i have
1: now or i didn't have
0: so like maybe what's a skill that you don't yet have that you want to have at some time in the future that you're working on developing
1: okay yep well my this this is easy for me because um because i have aphasia so the thing is i I could get better is speaking Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: if i can do that And then I can really tell the basically on the population from the the world what happened to me. So for for me to getting to focus on one thing after to do that is um, my speaking. Uh, The second thing before this has to be writing. But uh, but as you can see, as you know, you read you read through my, my book. I think I did I think I did I, I did a pretty good job of uh, describing what happened to me. So I, I can now writing pretty good. So I'm I'm all right with that. So so really is is really speaking.
0: Gotcha. Awesome. Awesome. Well, before I ask the last question, I wanna acknowledge you, Ted. I think that by going through your book and and simply seeing the action that you took after such a Tragic scenario at the time and seeing your relentless pursuit, seeing your persistence, always getting back up after the the times that you would fall down when you would, you know, attempt to get onto the, the wheelchair, fall off the treadmill, have seizures, all these all these things. Happen to you, you would always find a way to get back up and stay relentless, and that's such a great life lesson and sh- such a great message and you can truly walk the walk for other people in that in that light and I hope that other people are motivated and inspired, and I know they will be to to do the same themselves
1: uh, No, I was gonna say i, I really I really I, I feel that i'm a a messenger uh an educator spreading awareness of stroke and aphasia. Uh, It's really, it's really my my part of my new purpose, you know. Uh, This is, uh, this is has to be with, with making sure I get all of my relationships right and uh, my health is right, all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, awesome. Well, as I've already talked about it, a lot of you guys probably are wanting to dive into the book, so make sure you go to tedw.baxter.com and get the book "Relentless: How a Massive Stroke Changed My Life." For the better and again it's just so many great lessons about how to respond to adversity and how to stay motivated despite all of the obstacles that you're going to face along that journey but the last question ted is i think that getting closer to the best version of yourself is a constant journey i think we're always chasing down the best version of ourselves and i also think it's a very unique journey i think the way that i'm going to get to the best version of myself is going to be a little bit different than the way that you get to the best version of yourself so what i want to ask again for you personally If there are three things that you could currently do or currently work on to get closer to the best version of yourself, what are three things that you can currently do or currently work on?
1: Hmm. Okay, well, I'm gonna say that the first thing I need to make sure that I'm able to to speak better. So Mm -hmm. I'm gonna say the number one should be get 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 a get better to to speak better okay number 2 i would say i need to making sure that when i go to to the restaurants or i i can go to to the gym or whatever that i can exchange with with a stranger mm-hmm. on the street of me getting to doing things that day so in other words if i can get if i can get exchange better if i could do it more then i would be able to myself will, will be will be better to doing that and the the, the, the and i think that the last thing has to be there are different ways i can i can tap my brain to to figure out a different way I can give, I can share this message to the clients that I have. Uh, obviously, I go to the uh, every 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 Monday. I'm going to the to the hospital. The hospital, the name of it is uh, St. Jude's in in Fullerton, uh, California. What there there are different ways I can I can I can share my my message. Uh, or some techniques that I've used through through this journey to to share to them better.
0: Mm-hmm. I love it. Those are three great ones. Those the super cool. Um, well, that's all we got. That's all we got today, Ted. I really appreciate your time. Okay,
1: great. Thanks very much. You're great.
0: There you have it. I hope you enjoy this episode with Ted because we only had 45 minutes for the interview. We were only able to get into a little bit of how Ted fought back to recover so well, but I'm telling you, you're gonna wanna read this book to hear how it all happened for yourself. Remember that when put into a tough situation, we're given two choices. We could either sit there and dwell on it, complain about it, and think about why it's unfair, or we could take responsibility for our own improvement. You don't have to take culpability for all bad situations because a lot of bad things aren't your fault. But if you don't take responsibility for them, then no one else will. If no responsibility is taken, then there's no chance for growth or improvement. So when you're faced with a tough time or a challenging situation, embrace it. Take one step at a time towards small improvements. Realize that they are supposed to be obstacles and embrace those. Ted is the ultimate example of this, but he kept grinding one day at a time. And it allowed him to surprise his ex-wife, his doctors, his family, and probably even himself. He can do things now that stroke survivors typically are never able to do. So now it's time to take action. It's time to embrace challenging situations and do things that you've never done before so you can be someone you've never been before, allowing you to take one step closer and closer to your best you.